Aalto University Podcast. Welcome to uh, yet another Cloud Reachers episode. Um, I'm, I'm joined here by uh, Dean Professor Haniasfur. Welcome. Thank you, Mika. So now this is this is a bit funny. So like we are now in uh, Dubai Institute of Design and Innovation, where we actually both work, and you are my boss. So this is this is kind of funny episode in that sense. Um, but how's your um, how's your day been? Oh, the day is is, is really well. Started with a forum discussion with a furniture manufacturer that does office furniture and it was a group of interior designers and the manufacturer and myself discussing the future of workspaces so that was since early morning and then i had to deal with students and then i had to deal with another faculty issue some registrar issues and um, looking at my coursework yeah and then it issues of course Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just a regular day. Yeah, <laughs> nothing unusual. Nothing unusual. Yeah. No. yeah. Um, so we actually like. I'm I'm really excited about this um, this episode, and you know, um, but could you kind of first tell a bit about like introduce yourself, okay. like who you are, what do you do, and where do you come from? And okay, that's 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 uh, interesting. I'm I was born in Beirut. I consider myself Lebanese. Mm. Um, I have Palestinian roots. Actually, my parents came from there. And I grew up in a middle class household. Uh, my father was a pediatrician. He worked at the university. He was a, also a medical professor. Mm. Uh, my mom died when I was very young. And uh, I went to a middle class school and um, studied English, French and Arabic, which is common in Mm -hmm. Lebanon. So we learn languages very early in our life. And um, I was always visual, but I didn't know what that meant at the time. And then the war broke out and I had to leave suddenly when I was 19. And I landed in Boston because I had family Mm -hmm. and uh, my father, who stayed behind, told me, since you're in Boston, apply to MIT. And of course I was like, mm. that's crazy. I mean, why would I apply to MIT? And there's no way I would be accepted. Yeah. And so, but as a dutiful son, I went to MIT, you know, you know, half-footed because I'm thinking that of course they won't accept me. And uh, the only thing I had with me was the yearbook of the high school in Beirut, Mm. that I was the editor and art director of. So it was my artwork, basically. It was full of my artwork and my direction and my leadership and all of that. And I remember in the room where I was being interviewed, there was a panel that was interviewing me. Uh, Remember, I just landed in Boston. I had nothing on me. Yeah, yeah. Um, Literally just the clothes that I had. So we weren't refugees because Mm. we were middle class. But we were like refugees because we had nothing on and no belongings, nothing. Mm -hmm. And suddenly we're here. And I show them the yearbook and I feel a palpable change in the room. 
And they say, you designed this? I'm like, yeah, I did. <laughs> wow. And they're like, whoa. I could feel the change in the room. Mm. And I think that's what got me into MIT. And that changed my life. Yeah. And of course, I was scared. Because here I was, coming from Beirut, teenager, suddenly thrown into one of the most difficult programs in in, in the world. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure how I would perform because I was never the top student. I was a good student, but I was never the top student. I had always many interests. I had a band. Um, I played basketball. So I was active in many things. I wasn't mm -hmm. just focused on academics. Yeah. Um, but I did well. And it was a good experience. It was a nice challenge. And actually, I won the design award, which they usually give to master's students. It was the first year and only year they gave it to an undergrad. And that was me. Oh, wow. So cool. it was very exciting and a big honor. And I didn't know the award existed. So it was even more of a pleasant surprise. Wow. The funny thing is that when I graduated from MIT, I started to practice. I practiced a year here in Dubai. Mm -hmm. Uh, we did a villa, Hashem Sarkis was now the dean at MIT. Hmm. Hashem and I, we had started a firm together. We did a villa here. We did other projects. Um, and then I worked a year in Italy uh, where I learned Italian. That's how I know <laughs> Italian. And then a year in Los Angeles after we got married. Mm -hmm. And uh, my wife and I. And, and uh, what I realized is that I didn't know anything. After four years of education, a very rigorous education at MIT, I realized I didn't know anything. So I decided to go to do my master's. And I went, uh, was working in Italy at the time, and I saw in a magazine the work of an architect, um, up and rising, up and coming, mm. from Holland. Uh, his name is Rem Kolhas. And I saw the work and it resonated. And I read the article and it said he was teaching at Harvard. So I applied to Harvard because I wanted to study with this up and coming designer mm -mm. and I got rejected the first time. So I applied again. And the reason, and I asked Harvard, why did you reject me the first time? They said, because you come from MIT. Okay. That was, that was <laughs> the only it's reason. Tough. So the next time, of course, when I applied, I downplayed my MIT background. Um, and uh, strengthened my experience. By that time, I had worked for three years. Mm -mm. So I strengthened my portfolio showing my work experience and downplayed the MIT angle. And I got in the second time and ended up studying with Rem Kolhas. The reason I mentioned Rem is that now he's, he's world famous. He's a Prisker winner and, yeah. you know, and all of that. And he's the cloud reacher that I have in mind. Yeah, yeah. Totally changed my life totally made me um, accept things that I used to bemoan, like d density and urbanism, congestion and all these things. And these are mm -hmm. things that are man-made and we need to celebrate them um, instead of bemoaning them and improving them by, by absorbing them and not rejecting them. So it mm -hmm. totally changed my perspective on urban living, at least. And I realized that I was always an urban rat. I don't know if you've been to Beirut, but Beirut is quite, uh, has a quite rich urban culture. Yeah. Very, very strong urban culture and a strong design culture. And so by, it brought me back to my roots without knowing that that's something uh, that I love. So my wife and I, whenever we travel, we travel to cities and we mm. make it a point 
that we visit cities. We're not much interested in going to rural or uh, non-urban retreats. We yeah. just love being in cities. And so this love of cities became an important aspect in my life. And bringing in the political into design became essential. This is Harvard's training. Mm-hmm. At the same time, Graham Kohlhaas's approach oh, that anything that we design has a political dimension and an expression of the political system that you're working with. Mm. So that, in a nutshell, is my story. So I studied architecture. Mm-hmm. And after f- three years of working as an architect and having two children, a wife and a mortgage, I realized that it's not sustainable to work as an architect. I don't know if you know this, but architects don't make money. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, we were living in Boston at the time, so it was quite expensive. And my wife was working for America Online. Um, she was one of the programmers that developed uh, the um, instant messaging of America Online. So they were oh, the cool. first to do chatting and she was on the development team. And I would go visit and I saw the how the early days of the internet, mm. this is 96, 97, yeah. how they were actually on the wave of something fascinating. And I got bitten by that bug. Mm. And within a few years from graduating from Harvard as an architect, I switched my career entirely and became a web designer at the time when there were no web designers. Mm-hmm. And from that, I became a digital branding expert. And with, uh, anyway, the field was called creative, uh, web creatives. And I joined a startup. We grew from, when I joined, about 150 to 2,000 members all across the United States. And in that process, I ended up designing with Gensler, which is mm-hmm. a big architectural firm, um, all 13 offices of the company. And oh, wow. Which brings me back to this morning. That's why I was in that meeting, because (laughs) I have a lot of experience designing collaborative workplaces. Mm -hmm. And um, after that, after 911 and after the uh, 2002 dot bomb, uh, my wife and I found ourselves in Beirut, where where I took a teaching position. We thought we'll take a break from the U.S. We left our house intact, everything intact, thinking we'll go back. But within uh, two years of being in Beirut, we loved being there. It was mm-hmm. a great time to be there. And I started getting clients. So I started my own company called Polypod. At our height, we were 14 designers and we worked with all sorts of uh, projects, multidisciplinary from architecture to branding, to book design, logo design and all these things. So uh, it's basically everything I love to do. But the beauty is that we, we were hiring very talented people to work with us and yeah. we, we built an amazing environment and eventually I started discovering that um, where the market is going in terms of integrating technologies and uh, content driven uh, economies and what the design schools were producing the gap was just rapidly growing it was an mm. abyss yeah and so I thought that we needed to reform design education and that's what I'm doing now. Yeah. Now, I'm, like, you know, when you explain, like, when you describe your story, I mean, it completely makes sense, right? That, like, you know, seems to kind of, you know, like, kind of le- everything leads in, leads up to. Yes. To being in, in the idea. I guess, yes. Yeah. yeah. When, did, when did you realize that you, you wanted to teach? 
did you have do you have like a like a single moment or like one moment i think i've always wanted to teach and when i was in college at mit um they they selected the best students to be tas and i was selected and i yeah. saw that as an honor yeah so i saw that teaching was an honor i was scared stiff because i was teaching at mit um but then when i got into it um and used my design thinking brain which is an empathetic brain like thinking about how how can you explain complex ideas to someone if you were in their shoes how would you like to receive this information yeah. how can you take the information from the book synthesize it in a way that makes it palatable and understandable mm-hmm. for you for the person yeah. at the other end and then when i went to harvard i was teaching as well um as a ta um and then immediately on graduation hashim serkis who i mentioned before mm. who's also another cloud cloud reacher whom i admire yeah. deeply yeah um but hashim uh got a teaching position at RISD which is a very prestigious design mm. school and i was honored that he asked me if we could co-teach oh wow he just wanted someone to drive him there so i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> so um so that was my first proper teaching experience teaching studio at RISD is a big thing yeah it was a big challenge but having hashim as a mentor was very very helpful and from that i just caught the bug and i've been teaching since this is 94 yeah. till today i've been teaching every year since then wow yeah and yeah i mean that that's that's super interesting honey and like kind of leading like kind of as a follow up or well i don't know if there is any segue here but still so like when i heard about didi for the first time i was super excited in a sense that because it it's it doesn't happen all the time that kind of new universities are being built or established it's quite it's quite groundbreaking yeah um so could you could you tell us a bit about like how didi came to be yeah uh didi came to be from uh this incredible visionary who happens to be the leader of dubai sheikh mohammed and he realized that in order for dubai to continue to compete on the global level mm. it needs to be high in the innovation index yeah and in order to do that dubai needs to grow its own talent and not always export yeah innovators yeah. and designers and so when they established the design district which is a neighborhood in dubai for designers mm. and creative uh industry um uh, his highness required that the university begin there and he assigned the task to somebody called Ali Jaber who's another cloud reacher who I mm-hmm. admire as well Ali is the uh, head of a television station a regional television station and also he's the dean of the media school which is named after Sheikh Mohammed yeah so yeah. he has a very good relationship with the ruler of Dubai and there's a lot of trust so he he actually asked him to start the design school now um Ali being um of Lebanese extract as well first thing he did he went to MIT because Hashim Serkis is there and he's also he's a friend and yeah. he's uh, yeah. he happens to be a common friend um and so he went to MIT and asked MIT if they want to establish 
uh, a relationship and start a design school in Dubai and MIT mm. jumped at the opportunity. They thought it was timely and it was necessary and it was much needed. Yeah. Um, and that's w- one end of the story. On the other side, I was on a mission to reform design education mm. in Beirut. So I would speak to all my friends and tell them this is what I'm thinking whenever we go out for coffee. Yeah. Stuff and one of those people happened to be Hashem because we're friends. Yeah. And so when the IDI came to MIT and they asked him, well, do you know someone in the region who might be able to help you with this endeavor? <laughs> yeah. He suggested me and yeah. I said, oh, I know, honey, we went to school together. And so, you know, it was <laughs> just, so cool. Just, and this is how it happened. I came in as a consultant first. Yeah. And to figure out how to translate the curriculum that we uh, were getting from MIT and from Parsons and to actually deify it, to mm. make it uh, local and make it uh, special in that sense. And of course, I came with my own strong ideas about how we need to not build a new school, but build a school with a new way of teaching mm. design. And that's why I was interested in your work as well, Mika, because of the Thank Nordic you. rebels and and the and what you bring to the table in terms of teaching method methodologies yeah yeah and so it all came together in that way um in the sense that i was seeking to reform design education here was a university in dubai uh, trying to uh, grow local talent in design and it was a meeting of the minds because dubai is always ready for innovative ideas Mm -hmm. my position was that I would like to be involved as long as we are able to innovate in the way we teach design. And Dubai was like, of course. And one Mm, of them is mm. the cross-concentration system that we developed specifically for the school, which was rapidly adopted by the board with no objection, with total, total um, support. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, could you actually kind of elaborate on that a bit, honey? Like uh, this kind of cross concentration. Like, what is the reasoning, and what are the yeah. concentrations? And yeah. I mean, if you think about what everyone is saying, is that eighty-five percent or whatever percent of future jobs don't yet exist. Yeah. I mean, you can throw that number around in any way you want, but what we did actually, we started thinking: what actually are future design jobs? And we did a lot of research um, and we found articles, we spoke to different people and we found out that there are, you can be specific about the kinds of jobs and imagine what kind of skills uh, design future designers need. Mm. And then we decided, and then we looked at the fields that we offer, which are product design, multimedia design, fashion design, and strategic design management. We start looking at them and we thought, if someone studies product design, will they be able to make a wearable? Not really. Mm. They have some skills to make a wearable, but not all the skills. Can they make an app? Can they be the next Elisab? Can they um, actually work in social innovation? Mm. And what we discovered is not really, there's something lacking. And so based on the research that I've done in group forming networks, um, which requires another conversation. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but what we what we realized is that group forming networks actually generate more value than peer to peer networks. That's the key mm. understanding. 
And then what if we can apply group forming theory to actually designing curriculum and brainstorming with the MIT team in particular, uh, Mijan, who was the chairwoman of the architecture department, we were on a Skype call and we came up with the idea, what if the students can combine disciplines and generate their own path? Mm. So it's group forming in a different kind of way. So after the first year, we've uh, instated at the IDI what makes us special is that students have to combine two design disciplines. So if you combine product and multimedia, mm. you can actually make apps. And if you combine product and fashion, you can actually have all the skills to do a wearable yeah. and so on and so forth. So students from the four disciplines have to pick two to create their own cross-concentration, which allows innovation to happen. And we imagine that in doing that, not only will they have multiple or hybrid skills when they graduate, um, they will create new disciplines in design, which mm -hmm. fall mm -hmm. between the cracks. So innovations actually happening in between fields and by allowing students to actually experiment and cross over, we're teaching them so many life skills from collaboration to blurring boundaries, to uh, reaching across boundaries to work with others, to have empathy for other disciplines and actually encouraging them to innovate because innovation happens through cross-pollination. Yeah. So it's embedded in the way we teach and the way they create their own program um, in theory. And this semester actually is the first time we're going to see if this experiment mm. works or not. I mean, you have students uh, in your classes this semester probably did another discipline last semester. Mm. And mm -hmm. I'm very curious to see yeah. what they will bring to the table and how that will affect the way we teach strategic design. Yeah. It has to have an impact. Yeah, definitely. And I think like what you actually mentioned that um, it's quite interesting because as an educator, when you, when you interact with the learners, um, it also kind of pushes you to kind of, you know, go beyond your own original disciplines, right? Correct. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of uncomfortable, but in a, in a positive way, yeah. because you are kind of expanding uh, your own horizons as well. Exactly. And, yeah. and imagine now people with different disciplines coming in and studying strategy, their mindset would be different. Mm -hmm. And I'm mm -hmm. sure it will affect, hopefully positively. I'm, I'm an, an optimist usually, Yeah. yeah. Um, but we need to, we need to identify these opportunities and keep improving. Yeah, exactly. And you were mentioning or like talking about Dubai as a context and the UAE. Yeah. Um, what about, how do you see like DIDI as kind of drawing on the region's strengths and, and kind of ultimately contributing to the, uh, the future of design education globally? So kind of in two levels, yes, broad yes. topics. But yeah. I mean, I always uh, use uh, Paul Ricoeur, he's a French pheno phenomenologist who basically said our biggest challenge is how can we be modern without being sentimental? Mm. How can we actually look at our past and move forward without being nostalgic, without being bemoaning, oh, the future is, you know, changing everything. Um, at the same time, this is a formula for preserving regional cultures, but also promoting advancement. And I, I follow this mantra. Mm -hmm. And 
I, I don't have a lot of uh, patience with pastiche, you know, yeah, picking yeah. up things from the past and reapplying them and saying, oh, it's, it's modern. No, we need to mm. keep inventing. So with that in mind, uh, Dubai in, has a lot to offer in terms of culture. It's one of the few places that is actively working to preserve its culture. Mm, um, yeah. If you go to the old city, if you go to the souks, if you go, they are preserving it and looking after it and it's becoming more and more aware. So the question is, do we look at that past and say, okay, how can we mimic it? Um, the answer would be, no, we don't mimic it. Mm. We actually evolve it because if the ancients had the tools and methods that we have today, they will not build the way they used to build and mm, you can yeah, tell yeah. my architectural background as a base for understanding this they would use the new tools to do something completely different mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. based on their values so this is what we have to figure out what are the values that we need to represent yeah so yeah. so when we got the curriculum here we had to find a way um and even when i'm teaching my course the history of design for instance that particular course I realized how Western-centric I am. Mm, mm. I studied in the West. Beirut is on the edge of the Western world and actually shares a lot of history with the Western world, like the Roman, the Phoenician, the Punic. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, the Christian traditions, they come from that region. So we grew up in a Western idiom, even mm. though we speak Arabic. Yeah. But we don't see ourselves as detached from Western culture. Yeah, it's very um, much in us, and a lot of you know Adonis and Aphrodite. You know, they all inhabited Lebanon. Yeah, right? so <laughs> so for us, yeah. it's very much the the whole culture is tied to it, and then the French colonialism, colonialism, and all of that. So we're very strong Western. So I have a strong Western centric outlook, mm. compounded with my education in the West. So when I came here, and I started teaching the history of design, I realized that that that's a weakness here. Yeah, yeah, it's a total weakness. So I started adapting and researching and reading more about the region. So the course material had to actually adapt. It hasn't reached a level where I feel it's balanced, mm -hmm. but it's going mm -hmm. in that direction. So whenever I can, I show examples from the region. I show examples from Islamic culture. I show examples from Arabic traditions. So the, the, uh, the courses will naturally adopt. The second thing is that we're trying to solve in the studios at least, problems that are faced by the local population. Mm. So that already um, regionalizes it at that level, and we're actively doing that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the, the third thing that we, we are doing to make this part of the region is to tap into the government and all the initiatives that they have, because they have an incredible amount of initiatives in innovation and design. So a lot of the projects that we do, and now you're working on one with this resort. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're meeting with them soon is to try to identify local problems, local pain points and try to find solutions for them. So this we engage with the community at many levels mm. um, from trying to solve problems to engaging high schools, bringing in students, raising awareness about design as a as an agent of change uh, so all these levels like not being nostalgic uh, at the same time looking at the tradition bringing in the traditions into the curriculum and then engaging the local community is important now 
why would the government be interested in us? Because there's a directive coming back to why the IDI was established. Mm, mm. Is that the, the, the emir of Dubai, the prince of Dubai, the ruler of Dubai is basically saying, we need to be innovative. So these government agencies suddenly are being asked to be innovative. Mm. And what do they do? They, they come to the university amongst other places to say, mm. help us. We want to be innovative. What do we need to do? And that's how come we are engaged with so many government entities. It's because of this uh, unified vision to raise the level of innovation and creativity in every sector mm. in Dubai. And I would say this is the context that is most relevant for us today in yeah. order to be modern without being nostalgic. Yeah, no, that's a beautiful way to put it. Um, so um, I was thinking of asking like, so what kind of um, advice or uh, advice sounds a bit kind of condescending, but like what kind of, what would you share with like more established universities or design schools? Like one, one thing, what could they learn from the IDI? I cannot be presumptuous to no. say, no. you know, I mean, I respect all these institutions and the, and the years. And from our perspective, we look up to these universities and yeah. say, wow, if we were only a hundred years yeah, old, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. So um, again, I won't be so presumptuous as to say, um, or give advice to them, as you said. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, we're definitely not in a position uh, to do that. At the same time, I think that uh, two things we are doing differently that to me are essential. Mm. That um, we don't allow cliques to form within the faculty. Yeah. So we're always trying to find ways to grow bonds between the different faculty, albeit we're a small faculty. But we don't have a department head. We don't have um, any sort of territorial claims mm -hmm. in order to allow these boundaries to be blurred. So we're actively and consciously blurring boundaries between disciplines. Yeah. Even at the and so we we encourage co-teaching. We encourage uh, uh, the the offices is a big shared space. Uh, we did a retreat thanks to mm -hmm. you and other faculty members who organized it. Um, in order to have open dialogue between us. And whenever, as the dean, whenever I sense there is tension uh, between two colleagues, which is inevitable as mm -hmm. humans, mm -hmm. I nip it in the bud. I, I allow a conversation to take place and we discuss it. And if uh, I'm not aware of it, you know, that I, you know, eventually it'll surface. Mm, mm. But um, I try to nip them in the bud, have open conversations about them yeah. and to make sure that all voices are heard using a method actually called deep democracy, which I learned um, a few years ago. So that's the first level. Mm -hmm. um, and the second level is allowing um, the uh, courses, as I mentioned, to cross-pollinate mm. with each other with, with a flexible mindset to allow the voice of the teachers to actually come through the courses they're teaching, yeah. to provide an identity for the professor within the course and to allow space for that to happen as long as the learning outcomes are met. So there's a lot of that consciously being done because if the professors take ownership of the courses, um, hopefully that won't generate territorial mm, boundary yeah, yeah. Um, for the course. 
at the same time, it allows them to feel that they have ownership of the material. They're not just um, coming in to give a course and leave. No, they're taking, uh, you know, a stake yeah. in, in the coursework. No, that's really amazing, honey. And, um, and as, the, as the final question, I mean, like, th- like this is really a topic um, that we could kind of dig deeper and have like more than one episode. But um, and this is a question that we ask from, from all of our guests. Um, so like who or what is a cloud reacher in your field? And you have named them already, but if you can just kind of summarize in the end. Well, I mean, I, I named uh, three of them. Those are people I have encountered in my life that have shown me uh, pathways. Mm. Um, since I mentioned them, I'd like to mention a fourth one. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a French composer called Maurice Ravel. Um, he's known for Bolero, but he, he, you know, we big fans of Ravel and Ravel himself don't consider it his best work. Yeah. Um, And he basically, uh, for me, he's a role model and a cloud reacher because um, along with Debussy, they actually uh, changed the sound of French music. I mean, I love um, um, the Russian composer um, Rachmaninoff, but when recently I realized he was working at the same time as Ravel, I realized what a cloud reacher Ravel is Mm. because his work is is more experimental. It's trying new uh, sounds, bringing in jazz into the music. And at the same time, it has the structure of a Mozart uh, piece. And yeah. that's the difference between him and Debussy. And I prefer Ravel because he's building on the structure of the classical model, but mm. then he's raising the sound and the timbre to new levels, which we had not seen before. Mm-hmm. in a very restrained way and a very refined way that the more you go into it, the more you re- realize the genius. So it's not, so it's structured and creative at the same time. So it's combining both sides of the brain. Yeah. At the same time, it has a refinement that with time you start realizing, oh my God, how did he do that without any flair, without any... Uh, screaming that I'm a genius with this continuous internal struggle to express just this exquisite, exquisite moment. And I would recommend, for instance, the piano trio, which mm-hmm. to me is is the masterpiece, is the piece I would take yeah. with me to the remote island <laughs> and listen to it every day because it it actually embodies all these ideas, this restraint, this genius, and this lack of um, trumpeting Mm-mm. the the genius that he was. So I would say he would be my uh, cloud reacher today. Wow. Hani um, for this has been absolutely beautiful. And thanks for taking the time. And thank you so much. Thank you this. so much, Mika. This is a great initiative and I'm happy to be here. 